This is the Israel Connection on JA Community Radio, broadcasting on 88FM and streaming over the internet at j-air.com.au. My name is David Schulberg, bringing you another episode of this weekly radio program that provides analysis and insight with important interviews and discussion about Israel. Sarah Leah Whitson is the Executive Director of Democracy for the Arab World Now, the acronym DAWN. Previously, she served as Executive Director of Human Rights Watch's Middle East and North Africa Division from 2004 to 2020, overseeing the work of the division in 19 countries with staff located in 10 countries. She has led dozens of advocacy and investigative missions throughout the region, focusing on issues of armed conflict, accountability, legal reform, migrant workers and human rights. Professor Kirby Michael is a senior researcher at the Institute for National Security Studies, INSS, in Israel, and the MISGOV Institute. His primary research interests are conflict resolution, strategy, national security, civil-military relations, failed states and peacekeeping and state-building operations, and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. He once served as the Deputy Director General and Head of the Palestinian Desk, the Ministry for Strategic Affairs in Israel. In the spirit of promoting dialogue today, I'm hosting a discussion with these two protagonists about a recent article that was published in the Australian media titled, The Two-State Solution Has Failed, A True Democracy is the Middle East's Only Hope, by Sarah Leah Whitson. My guests today on my program, The Israel Connection, will be discussing an article titled The Two-State Solution Has Failed, A True Democracy is the Middle East's Only Hope, which was written by Sarah Leah. It was published in the Fairfax 9 newspapers in Australia in late January. Sarah Leah Whitson is an American lawyer and the Executive Director of Democracy for the Arab World Now. She previously served as Director of the Middle East and North Africa Division of Human Rights Watch. Welcome to this program, Sarah. Thanks for having me. And next to us is Professor Kobe Michael, a senior researcher at the Institute for National Security Studies in Israel, whose primary research interests are conflict resolution strategy, national security, civil military relations, failed states and peacekeeping and state-building operations, quite a handful, and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict to top it off. So let's begin with you, Sarah, telling us about this article you wrote and what uh, you were saying uh, about the need to find a new solution that takes away from the failed two-state solution. Um, yeah, sure. So basically, um, I and my colleague, Michael Omerman, uh, have been working <clears throat> for the past several years uh, on coming up with a new vision, a new framework for uh, resolving uh, the so-called Israel-Palestine conflict. Uh, and it really grows out of work that I've been doing for the past few decades, uh, addressing the persistent, relentless uh, uh, conflict um, uh, uh, over 50 years of military occupation, uh, apartheid rule over millions of Palestinians, uh, and the failure of the two-state solution as exemplified by the Oslo process. Um, and based on those observations and based on extensive 
consultations with uh, hundreds of uh, Israelis and Palestinians who've been involved in various peace processes, uh, we came to the realization that uh, part of the problem hinges on a focus on governance and statehood ahead of the issues of human rights and democracy. Um, ultimately, um, uh, whether there's going to be a one state or a two state or a three state or a province or confederation or binational state, all of the ideas that people have been floating around, that can only legitimately be concluded in a democratic way, in a democratic process. And the immediate problems that we have to solve for are occupation and apartheid. If we can first get rid of occupation and apartheid, then we can create the groundwork from where uh, Israelis and Palestinians can democratically choose what they want their governance to look like. Um, it really is flipping the script so that we are no longer uh, prioritizing statehood first uh, before uh, we can solve the problem of occupation and apartheid and ongoing endless military conflicts um, to saying those are the problems we have to solve first uh, so that we have a level ground from which the people can democratically choose how they want to be governed. Okay, so that's uh, a good introduction. So, Kobe, do you want to uh, start your response to what you've just heard? Good evening, or hello. Nice to meet you, Sarah. Actually, um, I'm um, I'm a bit shocked uh, from uh, the arguments that uh, have been placed here because uh, with all my um, knowledge and my uh, experience with regard to the Israeli-Palestinian issue that I deal with uh, for more than three decades, I haven't understood uh, even a, a single argument here. First of all, I, I couldn't understand the definitions. Maybe Sarah can clarify a bit uh, what does she mean by apartheid and by occupation? Where is exactly the apartheid and where is exactly the occupation? After understanding uh, what uh, are her definitions to apartheid and occupation, we can uh, continue um, discussing the issue. And another thing that, um, that I'm very interested to hear from Sarah is um, what is exactly the historical basis for her argument and maybe she can explain us where exactly is um, the Arab democracy or where is an Arab country that uh, it is a democracy in the entire Middle East and what exactly is between Arabs and democracy. So after having uh, these clarifications and understanding the definition that were used here, I will be able to refer. Yeah, so I'll hand over to you, Sarah. I think there's a, a point there. Well, Israel is claimed to be the only democracy in the Middle East. Uh, so uh, why, why is the onus uh, being put uh, on Israel when the Arab states haven't uh, managed to achieve uh, any kind of uh, democratic entity? So which questions do you want me to ask first and in what order? Well, to talk uh, about the what you said about apartheid and uh, occupation and then the last point that I uh, reiterated. 
Sure. Um, so I don't have a definition of apartheid and occupation. These are not my definitions. These are definitions uh, under the apartheid convention and under uh, the Geneva Conventions and international humanitarian law. Um, there is, you know, uh, uh, um, no, I think there, there is near unanimous global consensus um, that Israel is military occupying the occupied Palestinian territories. And, um, you know, which, uh, if, which if you want to take it up with the UN... Sorry, am I going to answer or are you going to yeah, interrupt? I think we just, we can't just, either either, either I speak at once and then you can respond or we can't speak. So yeah, I think we need, need to keep it that way, uh, Kobe. Otherwise, it'll get very disruptive. Go on, Sarah. Yes. So um, if, 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 if the UN Security Council, the UN General Assembly, the International Committee of the Red Cross, Every major human rights organization in the world um, recognizes that there are such a thing as the occupied Palestinian territories. <clears throat> they are a defined term uh, at uh, the UN and various UN bodies and international agencies, um, and that the uh, uh, presence of Israeli military forces uh, um, and the control, effective control, uh, over uh, the Palestinian territories is a military occupation as defined under uh, the Fourth Geneva Convention. So uh, obviously Israel is probably the only country in the world that doesn't recognize its own military occupation. Um, but I'm you know, frankly uninterested in that. And I would just say, let's just accept what the UN uh, has demarcated as a military occupation as our starting point. Um, with the question of apartheid, again, I don't have a personal definition of apartheid. The definition of apartheid is clearly spelled out in the apartheid convention. Uh, you can read it. Um, it is identified as a crime uh, in the Rome Statute in the International Criminal Court, which adopts the definition from the apartheid convention. And there are numerous analyses. Uh, by international human rights organizations who are experts uh, in international law and the apartheid convention that have concluded that Israel is committing the crimes of apartheid and persecution. Um, this is a conclusion that has been reached by Amnesty International, by Human Rights Watch, by the Israeli human rights organization B'Tselem, by the Palestinian human rights organization Al-Haq, uh, and by Harvard Law School's uh, Human Rights Division. Um, and so, uh, you know, there, I can, I can go on and on citing legal analysts and experts who have reached the conclusion uh, that Israel is committing the crime of apartheid. Um, but this is uh, certainly a conclusion that every major uh, humanitarian, uh, sorry, human rights law organization that focuses on the crime of apartheid has concluded. Um, and so, um, you know, you, you, uh, you personally or the state of Israel can reject that. Um, I don't think we're here to debate the findings uh, of apartheid uh, in Israel-Palestine. But since you've never heard of this before and you don't understand the definitions before, uh, please, I, I invite you to go read these reports uh, and analyses, and, and perhaps that will help clarify the, the uh, answers to some of your questions. 
Um, with respect to your question, um, uh, uh, David, um, remind me what it was. I'm sorry. Well, before we go on, the question was about the, uh, the the fact that there's no democracy in any of the Arab countries. Oh yes, democracy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I will agree that there is no democracy uh, uh, anywhere in the Middle East and North Africa. There are a few states that have some of the indicia of democracy, um, but otherwise, sadly, uh, there is uh, no. Uh, 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 truly democratic system of government, um, which represents, uh, which allows for the representation of all of the people under the sovereignty of the state uh, uh, in anywhere in the Middle East and North Africa. That is a very, very uh, uh, sad, uh, unfortunate, but entirely man-made problem. Okay, Kirby, do you want to address the... Um the the perennial accusations of apartheid and occupation? Yes, of course. Um, first of all, uh, um, the idea that um, several um, institutions that were mentioned here um, claimed or so-called claimed uh, about apartheid and occupation uh, says nothing. Uh, we uh, know uh, exactly what the UN is. Uh, and we know exactly how deep is the bias of um, so many international organizations. Um, but um, I uh, haven't found any accusation even of uh, a biased organization like the UN about uh, uh, an apartheid with regard to Israel because it is uh, totally nonsense. Because how it comes that uh, there can be apartheid with regard to people who are not the citizens of this country, okay? Um, secondly, we have to put uh, things in context and to understand what exactly we are facing here. First of all, uh, the context is uh, the context of the Oslo Agreement, uh, at least for the last three decades. And according to the Oslo Agreement, which is an interim agreement, um, uh, the, the West Bank is divided to three, um, um, to three types of uh, territories, A, B, and C, uh, where uh, the Palestinian Authority has uh, the full authority uh, with regard to areas A, and they have civilian authority with regard to area B, where Israel has the security authority uh, with regard to Area B, and in Area C, Israel has the full authority with regard to civilian and security um, uh, matters. Um, and with regard to the Gaza Strip, uh, Israel uh, is not there uh, since uh, September 2005. Israel uh, actually uh, disengaged from the Gaza Strip until the last inch, there was no there a single settler or a single soldier, and Israel uh, actually withdrew to the international border, which is recognized, by the way, by the entire international community, including the UN. And the idea that uh, the Gaza Strip uh, was occupied after a coup d'etat of Hamas, and after Hamas um, uh, toppled down the Palestinian Authority, and after murdering 170 people of the Palestinian Authority, um, Hamas controlled, fully controls the Gaza Strip since June 2007. And the idea that Hamas uh, preferred 
um, to concentrate on uh, terrorism against Israel and to steal the, the money and the resources of its own people in order and the donation and the international assistance uh, of the international community in order to uh, build a terror infrastructure and in order to fortify itself militarily uh, instead of uh, building uh, a civil society economy and uh, a state in the Gaza Strip. Uh, this is uh, a Palestinian business and the Palestinian issue. And unfortunately, uh, this is a, a, a sort of a tragedy and a disaster of the Palestinian people that brought on the head of the Palestinian people by its leaders. Now, um, uh, going back to the, um, to the West Bank, uh, uh, I don't know if our uh, viewers have an idea that more than 95% of the entire Palestinians who live in the West Bank uh, live in areas A and B, which means that they are the full authority of the Palestinian Authority. Now, um, we were in, um, in, a, in the political process uh, under the umbrella of the Oslo Agreement. And um, I would like to remind our viewers that um, at least uh, three times, uh, if not more than that, uh, the Palestinian leadership rejected uh, proposals uh, that uh, enabled them to establish an independent state. It was uh, in Camp David 2000, uh, followed by uh, the Clinton perimeters from uh, December uh, 2000, and uh, it was in the Annapolis process, 2008-2009, uh, when the Palestinians were offered by Prime Minister Olmert to have 100% of the territories, 96% of the West Bank territories, uh, plus swap of 4% from territories of Israel uh, <coughs> of um, uh, 1967. Uh, Olmert also offered the Palestinians the division of um, um, Jerusalem, uh, including the Temple Mount, uh, and even uh, absorbing um, some thousands of uh, Palestinian refugees. Uh, and Abu Mazen said no, it was in 2009. Later on, in 2014, uh, there was the initiative of uh, the Secretary of State Kerry, Israel said yes, the Palestinians said no. Um, in 2017, there was uh, the deal of the century uh, that was proposed by President Trump. Uh, it was, uh, um, I would say, a less, uh, less good idea or non-starter even for the Palestinians uh, because they were offered their only 85% of the entire territories of the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, including SWAP. They said no, Israel said yes. Um, so uh, at the end of the day, uh, we are stuck in a um, very um, long, uh, frustrating uh, political process where there is one side uh, that refuses um, to uh, accept the basic right of uh, the Jewish people for uh, self-determination which means that the Palestinians and the Palestinian leadership uh, do not recognize till today in the right of the state of Israel to exist as the nation state of the Jewish people. So if there is an apartheid, okay, uh, maybe the apartheid is in the Palestinian side, not in the Israeli side, because Israel accepts the idea 
of two nation state solution, which means the Palestinian state as the nation state of the Palestinian people, where the state of Israel will be the nation state of the Jewish people. Israel is ready for uh, uh, an agreement uh, and uh, for uh, the, the division of the territory between the Palestinians and the Israelis. The Palestinians do not accept it. Okay, and if we will go back to the curriculum of uh, the Palestinian Authority, we will find exactly what the Palestinians think uh, about Israel and what is the grand vision of the Palestinians, because um, the Palestinians uh, indoctrinate their, uh, their people, uh, and I'm talking about um, uh, three decades of uh, indoctrination, uh, they indoctrinate their people uh, about the Palestinian ethos, which is based on two main pillars. The first one is the refugeehood, the victimhood, and the right of return, which is the second side of the coin of um, the, the refusal to recognize in the, in the right for self-determination of the Jewish people. And the other pillar is the armed resistance. We are talking about the Palestinian Authority led by Abu Mazen that supports terrorism by paying money to terrorists which are prisoned in Israeli prisons and uh, to the families of uh, terrorists that were killed by Israel. We are talking about the Palestinian Authority that glorifies terrorism. We are talking about the Palestinian Authority and about the president of this Palestinian Authority that uh, have not found till today the time and the opportunity to condemn the murderous atrocities of October 7th. And um, we are talking about the Palestinian Authority that its officials, from its president till the last official, uh, continue inciting, uh, delegitimizing, dehumanizing uh, the state of Israel. Uh, and uh, eventually, uh, we are in a sort of a huge, uh, I would say, um, um, uh, stalemate uh, with, uh, with the Palestinians. And uh, we are in a, a living conflict with the Palestinians. And I think that uh, what uh, has happened uh, or what happened in October 7th is uh, a sort of an ultimate example uh, to the... Um, um, to the reality that we live in. And um, we have to understand that uh, when we are talking about the Palestinians or the Palestinian entity or the Palestinian authority, you name it, we are talking about two entities, two independent entities which are adversaries and uh, they have a sort of a zero-sum game between of them. We are talking about Hamas in the Gaza Strip and we are talking about the Fatah the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank. And all the trials of reconciliation between uh, Fatah and Hamas since 2007, we are talking about 12 trials at least of reconciliation have failed. And um, the probability that they will be able to reconcile between themselves uh, is uh, something around zero. So um, with whom exactly we have to cut the deal, okay? Um, and uh, therefore, I think that uh, the idea of, uh, of uh, resolving the problem or resolving the conflict as if the conflict is, um, is, uh, can be resolved, okay, uh, by, by establishing one state is something that is totally 
disconnected from the reality. How exactly these two people can live together in one state? Yeah, let's 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 stop it uh, there. I think there's a lot uh, of serious to digest in what you've uh, just been telling us. You are currently listening to a discussion between Sarah Leah Whitson, the Executive Director of Democracy for the Arab World Now, and Professor Kobe Michael, a senior researcher at the Institute for National Security Studies, INSS, and the MISGOV Institute. Let's return now to the second part of the conversation. Sarah, would you like to uh, uh, respond to you both? I mean, you both agree that we have a a stalemate fundamentally, but I think... uh, uh, you violently disagree on uh, on how we can proceed from this uh, point, and um, and in terms of what uh, the Hamas attack on Israel on October the seventh actually signifies, I think um, is- Israelis uh, have found that they cannot move towards uh, a viewpoint of a two state solution or any kind of solution now because they really we need we really need to deal with uh, what's at hand. Um, so we we. Although there's a feeling that we would like to, to resolve it by by the, such means, I don't think there's a readiness yet um, on either side to, to go there. So uh, tell us what you think, Sarah. I mean, uh, I guess I can I can't really respond to this long exegesis that I just heard, which is so disconnected from facts. Um, such a sort of talking points oriented propaganda themed presentation. I don't even know what specifically to respond. That's just not a serious kind of engagement. If there's a specific question you want to ask me, David, I'm happy to answer it, but I'm not going to generically respond to a generic set of uh, uh, talking points. I I just, I don't think that's a useful uh, uh, exchange. Well, what... uh... If we go, we go back to say um, the the partition plan in in uh, nineteen forty. You know, I I I I really think that for the good of Israelis and Palestinians and the rest of the world, we need to move away from analyzing and reanalyzing the failed approaches of the past, whether it's the partition, whether it's the Oslo Accords. And let's put aside who was to blame and who's more to blame and who's less to blame. The problem we have now, today, that urgently needs to be addressed is ongoing apartheid, endless military occupation, and what the International Court of Justice has found to be a plausible genocidal military campaign. Those are the emergencies that we need to solve right now. And this is not about a block, an inanimate block of something called the Israel block and something called the Palestinian block. Let's just assume the Palestinians have no leadership. They're just human beings. The perspective we have to focus on is the human rights obligations, the international law obligations of the state of Israel, to the human beings under its control, okay? So I'm not interested in proposing who should negotiate on behalf of the Palestinians. There may not be. I am not interested in a deal or deal-making because the priority is not deal-making. The priority is 
ending the occupation, ending apartheid, ending the genocidal campaign underway in Gaza so that the people from the river to the sea can vote and choose how they want to be governed. Do they want two states? Do they want one state? Do they want a confederation? Do they want a binational state? It's not up to any one of us to dictate that answer. It is up to the people. The best way to resolve that question is to do so democratically. Um, and, you know, that that is ultimately what we, you know, we're here to solve a problem. And the question is, how do we solve this problem? This is my proposal for how to solve the problems of occupation, apartheid, and a genocidal onslaught in Gaza that has taken the lives of nearly 30,000 Palestinians, over 10,000 children. Anyone who doesn't see these as problems that need to be solved is lacking a moral compass, is lacking a human compass. I am not interested in, you know, advantaging the tribal wishes and needs of one group over another. That has very little interest to me. I am interested in what will promote the human rights of human beings uh, by the sovereign that rules over them. That is the priority. So you're, you're essentially uh, looking at uh, uh, concerns over the, uh, the welfare of people without any real uh, connection to uh, this long history that uh, we see as, as having evolved in in the region, and also not recognizing the the, the fundamental uh, inability of the, uh, the the Palestinians and the Israelis to live together in the in the in in the one place all all together, and also denying the uh, the right of um, the Jews to their own state, which was granted to them uh, now 75 uh, years ago. So you're no, trying to dismantle, I think, I think that's, you're talking yeah, about dismantling a, a Jewish state. That's what you're talking about, aren't you? Well, let me, let me, let me be clear, right? So first of all, I oppose any laws or rules that privilege one group over another based on religion, based on national identity, uh, based on gender, uh, 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 based on race. Um, those elements of discrimination um, are uh, uh, you know, the definition of, of what can build a system of apartheid. Racial discrimination, which includes discrimination based on national or ethnic and religious origin, uh, is a, a violation of international law. I oppose those things. So whether it's Jews passing laws that privilege Jews or Muslims passing laws that privilege Muslims or uh, uh, Hindus passing laws that privilege Hindus in 2024, where no one society is 100% of anything, those laws are wrong. Okay. Now, every person, every human has a right to self-determination. Uh, and that has been understood in a group sense uh, to constitute a state and a statehood, right? The question is, does that right to statehood or self-determination give you a right to discriminate against other people, to practice apartheid against other people? And the answer is resolutely no. So if you're saying 
that the only way a Jewish state can exist as a Jewish state is by practicing apartheid against the Palestinians under its rule, then no, I don't support that Jewish state any more than I would support a Muslim state that can only exist if it discriminates against the Jewish population or the Christian population under its control, right? I am not interested in whether it's a Jewish or a Muslim or a Christian. I don't care. The only thing I'm interested in is that any state has to respect the human rights of the people under its control, not to be discriminated against, not to live under apartheid. And the notion of religious preferences by law is fundamentally illegal. Yes, I was accused about uh, using uh, using propaganda or talking point uh, list or something like that. And uh, I was wondering if Sarah is accusing me or herself, uh, because uh, what she is talking is uh, um, just uh, slogans and things which are totally disconnected from any understanding about what is the Middle East or what is uh, the state of Israel, who are the Palestinians. And when she says that she, op she, that she opposes the idea of discrimination or self-determination, which is based on uh, um, um, uh, any sort of identity, then she opposed uh, something like 90% of the, the entire globe, okay, because most of the states uh, in the globe are uh, based on uh, any sort of uh, identity. Uh, and now it is uh, really um, uh, at least um, mis uh, misunderstood uh, how exactly um, uh, democratic tools or practices can be used or can be realized by people who have no experience in democracy, that have not experienced democracy in their life. Um, how exactly uh, we can bridge the gaps okay, between people that do not want to live together or between two groups of people when one group believes that the other group has no right to exist. Um, and uh, I think that uh, when we are looking around in the Middle East, we see that uh, in any country, in any place, that uh, there is a sort of a mixture uh, of uh, groups and mixture of identities, mixture of ethnic groups or uh, religions, we find only chaos, we find uh, only violence. Okay? We can see what is happening in Syria between the Sunnis, the Alawites, uh, the, 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 the Kurds uh, and the Christians, and we can see what uh, exactly is going there in Iraq between the Shiites, the Sunnis and the Kurds, and we see what is going there in Turkey between uh, uh, between the, the Kurds and the, and the Sunnis, and uh, we see what uh, is going uh, in Egypt between the, the Copts and the, and the Muslims. So uh, why Sarah thinks that uh, just in Israel, okay, uh, this experiment, uh, this experiment will will work, and uh, and Muslims, Arabs, and Jews will be able to live together. And um, why uh, the idea of self determination is accepted in any other place in the world, but it is not accepted when it comes to the Jewish people or to the state of Israel. Um, I think that uh, at the end of the day. Um, uh, we have to understand that uh, uh, people can live together or side by side better uh, with uh, good fences between of them and they don't have to be mixed uh, together. Uh, 
And uh, I think that um, the, 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 the focus on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and on the Palestinians and the, the idea of releasing the Palestinians from any sort of responsibility to their faith uh, is something that uh, um, uh, is, is, really, uh, is really cannot be understood. Uh, because um, uh, there are so many, uh, there are so many uh, other examples of uh, miserable that exist, and I uh, haven't found uh, people like Sarah or any international organizations who are so deeply concerned about the situation, uh, like uh, three million uh, Syrian uh, refugees that live uh, in the southern part of Turkey along the border of Syria or uh, 5 million displaced Syrian in Syria, this, uh, Syria itself, or in Libya, or in Yemen, or in Somalia, uh, or all the Kurdish people. Uh, so uh, eventually, uh, I think that uh, the concentration on the Palestinian issue is something that uh, uh, has not uh, necessarily uh, has uh, with the Palestinians, but this is something that... Uh, people have with the Israelis or with the Jewish people or with the state of Israel. Yeah, so can I ask you to answer again, uh, Sarah, that I mean, your organization is, is called uh, Democracy for the Arab World Now. Uh, why is there so much uh, a focus on Israel in particular, just a small element in, in this region? which is not uh, part of the Arab world, why are you looking towards uh, uh, subsuming uh, the current state of Israel, which is uh, the only sort of element of, of a non-Arab entity in this, in this region? Why, why are you trying to uh, basically turn uh, the whole of the Middle East region into a homogeneous Arab state? Mm-hmm. Um, well, first of all, I think the term Arab world is used in a generic way, um, the way that many governments refer to the Arab region. Uh, obviously, Arabs don't only live in the Middle East and North Africa. I uh, consider the region of the Middle East and North Africa a tremendously diverse uh, uh, area of population that includes uh, Arabs and uh, uh, Jews and Israelis and Armenians um, and Iranians. So certainly uh, Israel is not the only non-Arab state in the uh, uh, Arab region and the Arab world. Um, there are Kurds, as the, um, uh, was pointed out. There are uh, uh, numerous peoples, Assyrians, Assyriac, uh, the list goes on. Sadly, many shrinking communities. Um, as for the focus of uh, Dawn, um, and that's why we do go by the name Dawn, since we don't like the term Arab world. I personally don't like it. I think Middle East and North Africa is more accurate. Um, our focus is on the governments with the closest ties to the United States. Um, because we are an American organization, we are focused on U.S. policy. And our mission is to end U.S. support for abusive governments uh, in the Middle East and North Africa. And that includes Israel, it includes Saudi Arabia, it includes the UAE, it includes Egypt, it includes Jordan. And if you take a look at our website, you would see that pretty clearly. I should note for those of you who don't know, that Dawn was founded by the late Jamal Khashoggi prior to his murder by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia. 
Um, in addition, prior to my work at, um, uh, at Dawn, I was the head of the Middle East Division at Human Rights Watch, where uh, Israel was one of uh, 19 countries that we worked on. Um, and uh, sadly, I can say that I've spent many, many, many years um, working on um, the brutal uh, repression of uh, the Syrian government, uh, the tyranny of the Egyptian government, uh, the, the gross uh, war in Yemen, uh, abuses by the Moroccan government, abuses by the Iranian government. I could go on and on and on. And so the notion that there's a, any kind of selected focus on Israel is sadly a way of deflecting attention and, and seeking to divert attention uh, from Israel's own abuses. This is a program right now. You've invited me here to talk about Israel and Palestine. And that's why we're here talking about Israel and Palestine. Um, so uh, uh, if you want to talk about Syria, we can certainly change the subject and retitle the show. Um, you know, I guess just some of the comments that I heard, I, I just it's very difficult for me to even hear the sort of racist notion that uh, Arabs can't live uh, in democracy. Arabs don't know how to live in democracy. Um, if that was the standard by which democracy and democratic rights were measured, most of the world wouldn't be living in democracy or wouldn't have the right to democracy. What matters here is what people have the right to and what human beings, whatever their race, whatever their religion, have a right to. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights provides is a right to political participation, a right to choose those who rule over them. That is the fundamental right we aspire for every human being on the planet. Um, and that is one that we should all remain loyal and committed to, regardless of our personal biases uh, and tribal affiliations. Um, I would also say the notion that there can be some magic dividing fence uh, between Israelis as a block uh, and Palestinians as a block is just completely disconnected from reality. I mean, over 20% of the population of Green Line Israel, borders that Israel has not recognized but the rest of the world sees as proper Israel, is already made up of Palestinians. You already have to live together. You already are mixed together. Now, I'm not advocating for a one-state solution. It doesn't matter what I advocate. It doesn't matter what you advocate. The only people who can determine how the territories from the river to the sea should be governed, whether it should be governed by two states, because that's what the people choose, or one state or three states and so forth, should be a democratic decision that's made by the people. And if the majority of the people choose to live in two states, which I think they very well might, if you took a vote today from the river to the sea, I bet they would choose two states. I don't know. Could be wrong. Um, uh, I, uh, uh, you know, that, that should be, that should be the rule. And if people say, nope, we're just too mixed, we all have to live together in one state, then so be it. Then that's what it has to be. That's what has to happen. And finally, just on the notion of, of Gaza, you know, again, it, you, there's sort of your personal opinions and there is the findings of, uh, international, uh, uh entities and organizations, uh, UN bodies. You can say, okay, well, I'm going to ignore every international law body out there. Um, and, and the only international law opinion that matters is my own, you know, obviously partisan one. Um, 
Um, but if you take the position that there are international law organizations whose findings, whose determination uh, is, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the wide determination and, and ruling, then Gaza remains occupied territory. And in case it's not clear to people whether or not a troop member, whether or not a soldier is present on the ground in occupied territory is not the determining factor about whether or not a place is, is occupied territory. The indicia of control um, under international law, the what is called effective control is who controls the borders, who controls entry and exit, who controls the population registry, who controls import, exports, and so on. And by every indicia, um, international organizations, including the International Commission on the Red Cross, which is kind of a pen holder for all matters relating to the Geneva Convention, has concluded that Gaza remains occupied territory. And by the way, it's part of one parcel, the occupied Palestinian territories. That East Jerusalem has been annexed uh, by Israel illegally, um, just as Russia has illegally annexed Crimea and Western and Morocco has illegally annexed Western Sahara, doesn't change their status as occupied territories. Right. I think uh, I've got to make a correction on what you said about Gaza. Firstly, Israel does not control the population registry of the people of Gaza. And secondly, um, Israel is not uh, the only country that has uh, a blockade on uh, on Gaza. Egypt has, has similarly got a blockade on, on Gaza. And as uh, Kobe has said earlier, the, the people, the, uh, Hamas in Gaza could have done uh, uh, things a whole lot differently uh, that wouldn't have led us to the situation that uh, we're, we're, we're now in. And I think uh, Kobe would probably be saying, if I let him speak now, that uh, what you're saying about uh, the rights of individuals might, uh, might sound uh, nice in an ideal world, but uh, we do need to be realistic. And I think we are in a position, uh, if you look at the polls amongst Palestinians and Israelis, in terms of their level of support for a two-state solution, which I've checked before we uh, came into this uh, conversation, it is it is not uh, it is not that there's support for that today. And I don't know if there's be support amongst Israelis for a one-state solution if they can't find their way to be supporting a two-state solution. I think uh, we're we've got to be realistic above all and consider what the situation is uh, as uh, as we behold it. And there's been a paradigm shift following what happened on October the 7th. I think we're all we're all seeing that. And so there's, um, a, there's a hardening of attitudes towards uh, the sort of um, idea, sort of dreamlike uh, vision that you have, uh, Sarah. And I don't think that necessarily we can have that impetus given uh, where we where we're sitting today. So, Toby, do you yeah. want to uh, well, do, you, do you want to do you want to respond further, Kobe? And yes, then I will, I'll uh, give you a chance I, to get to answer. I would like uh, I would like uh, shortly to make two comments. First of all, the idea that um, people who are not the citizens of one state will determine the fate of uh, a state that they are not uh, its citizens—it's not less than ridiculous. As if there is a conflict between the United States of America and Mexico, then the citizens of Mexico, okay, 
uh, will decide what will be the fate, what, what will be the, the, the future of the United States of America, because they live in the same continent, in the same region, and they have a conflict between of them. And then uh, behalf of the right of self-determination, individual self-determination, then any individual will vote and will decide what will be the fate of the United States of America because uh, of the conflict with Mexico. Okay, so the Palestinians who are not the citizens of the state of Israel, they will decide what will be the future of the state of Israel in this region. Uh, secondly, with regard to um, to the situation in the Gaza Strip and, uh, and the international organizations and the UN was mentioned here so many times, um, I would like to remind that UNRWA, which is a UN agency, okay, um, is... Um, is such a corrupted uh, organization that, first of all, controlled by Hamas, secondly, cooperates with Hamas, thirdly, um, they participated actively in the murderous massacres uh, and atrocities of October 7th, and uh, all of its facilities in the Gaza Strip, which are, um, which has uh, have been created by the donation of, uh, of of good countries and good people, okay, were used as military compound and terror facilities of Hamas. And uh, and uh, just uh, two days ago, uh, it was revealed that uh, uh, just beneath the, the the main headquarter of Hamas of uh, UNRWA in uh, in Rimal neighborhood in the Gaza Strip, there was um, the main uh, one of the main bunkers. Uh, of uh, of uh, Hamas that was uh, fed, okay, um, by electricity and by some other means from the headquarters of UNRWA, and this is a UN agency. So uh, uh, talking about uh, international organizations and uh, their attitude and their, uh, I would say, uh, neutrality, uh, it's something uh, which is really uh, disconnected to the reality, at least not to the reality on the ground here. And uh, thirdly, with regard to the situation of the Gaza Strip, I would like to mention that, uh, as you mentioned, David, uh, first of all, uh, um, we are in a state of war with the Gaza Strip, with Hamas, even before October 7th, okay? So there is no reason that the borders will be open between us and Gaza. What people exactly expected, expect that uh, Israel will open the border for its enemy, that uh, will enter the state of Israel and will terrorize the state of Israel from within, Secondly, uh, although we are in a state of war with the Gaza Strip, we um, enabled um, the, uh, the export and import of goods from the Gaza Strip, and the Kerem Shalom uh, cross was used in order uh, to enter even dual-use materials uh, to the Gaza Strip in order to develop the economy, the agriculture, uh, and uh, the infrastructure there. And unfortunately, all of these materials were used by Hamas for terrorist purposes. And uh, thirdly, um, uh, uh, Israel is not uh, the only exit of the Gaza Strip to the wall. There is another exit, which is the Egyptian exit, which is open, by the way. Uh, and if the Egyptians uh, decide uh, to close it uh, from time to time, this is their business with the Palestinians. That's our business. And we have no responsibility about that. So um, uh, I think that uh, the, the expectation that Israel will open its borders, and by the way, we enable the, the entrance of 20,000 workers, Palestinian workers, uh, to, to work in Israel in order to improve the economic situation uh, there. And unfortunately, and uh, many of them uh, actually 
uh, helped Hamas in the preparation towards the atrocities of October 7th. This was the reward that uh, they gave to Israel for their uh, entrance to Israel to work in Israel. But um, I think that um, uh, the expectation that uh, that Israel in a state of war with Hamas that uh, refuses to recognize in the right of the state of Israel to exist and declares that uh, that uh, its intention is to whip Israel from the map and to destroy the state of Israel, and then people still expect that Israel will open its borders with the Gaza Strip and will enable the Gazans to to travel freely wherever they want, even to the state of Israel, is not less than absurd. Okay, so I'm going to give you the, the last word, uh, Sarah, as um, we're, uh, on the hour. Uh, I, I mean... Let's just let's just end it here. There's there's no. Uh, I don't think I can do an adequate job in less than the minute we have here. But thank you for inviting me to the show and uh, uh, good luck. Okay, well we'll finish it there. I um, if that's the the way it'll be. I thank you both yep. uh, for participating, okay. Professor Kavi Michael Bye-bye. and uh, Sarah Leah Whitson. Thank you for your participation. Thank you. You've been listening to an extensive conversation between Sarah Leah Whitson, the Executive Director of Democracy for the Arab World Now, and Professor Kirby Michael, a Senior Researcher at the Institute for National Security Studies and the MISGOV Institute. The topic was associated with an article that was published in the Australian media titled The Two-State Solution Has Failed, A True Democracy is the Middle East's Only Hope by Sarah Leah Whitson. A copy of that article that appeared in the Fairfax 9 newspapers, The Age, The Sydney Morning Herald, etc., can be found on the Israel Connection Program's Facebook page. If you missed any of the discussion, you can catch it by going to the JA website, j-air.com.au, and looking for the Israel Connection under Podcasts on the main menu there. Alternatively, you can find previous podcasts of the Israel Connection by opening your favourite internet browser and entering omni.fm forward slash shows, forward slash Israel hyphen connection, connection spelt with an X. I don't know what you made of the conversation. On today's show, any feedback is welcomed. You can email me at davids at j-air.com.au with your thoughts. I must say that the way that Sarah Leah Whitson capitulated at the end of the interview, making out that there was no time to respond to Kobe Michael's last words, showed up her inability to go beyond her main talking points that were preoccupied with accusing Israel of apartheid and occupation. It should be noted that on the website of Democracy for the Arab World Now, dawnmena.org, for which Whitson is the executive director, there is a plethora of articles about the Israeli-Gaza war. Worth noting in particular is an article written by Whitson herself which is titled It's Time to Scrap the Abraham Accords. Whitson contends that the Abraham Accords have emboldened successive Israeli governments to further ignore Palestinian rights. In the first year after the Accords, according to her, settler violence dramatically increased in the West Bank and Whitson attributes this to Israeli intransigence. She says that following the election of Israel's most right-wing government in history in 2022, Cabinet Ministers openly called for the annexation of the West Bank and announced massive settlement expansions. She mentions that in the year leading up to October 7, Israeli forces had already killed almost 200 Palestinians in the West Bank. Of course, she doesn't consider that this may have occurred because of mounting terrorist activity there. Claims of rising Israeli settler violence against Palestinians are false, according to an article a month ago in the Jerusalem Post. 
It reports that there has not been a significant increase in Jews being violent against Arabs in Judea and Samaria since the beginning of the current Gaza war, compared to the period of January to July 2023. According to the J-Post article, the problem begins with the facts. The database of the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, OCHA, a prime source, has pronounced that it needs to be validated by at least two independent and reliable sources. And there is the rub. Years ago, the author, Israel Madad, inquired if their staff ever actually have done on-site review, or rather trust someone like Gassan Douglas, the PA's Head of Settlement Monitoring for the Northern Western Bank? The answer is no. Israel's Foreign Minister Eli Cohen decried what he referred to as an anti-Israel campaign, based on the settler-related violence data collected by the United Nations that has been described as false and anti-Semitic in a new Israeli report, due in part to parameters of defining various attacks in the West Bank. The disclosure that the head of the Samaria Council gave me is extremely important. If these are indeed true, it is a serious matter. I will demand answers from the United Nations, Cohen said, after meeting with the West Bank Regional Council head, Yossi Dagan, who compiled the Israeli report. The report by Dagan had shown that the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs has misleadingly combined both attacks by Palestinians against Israeli settlers and vice versa under one category of settler-related violence. Now, Whitson maintains that continued Arab adherence to the Abraham Accords signals continued support for Israel, rewarding it with the military, economic and trade development that were always the primary goal. That is why Democracy for the Arab World Now has publicly called on the UAE, Bahrain, Morocco and Sudan to immediately withdraw from the Accords and alongside peace treaty signatories Egypt and Jordan end all military coordination with Israel. There you have it. The organisation Democracy for the Arab World Now is all about undermining the only democracy in the Middle East. Whitson would be well advised to chuck her three-year plan called Blueprint that would enforce an arrangement on Israel into the bin and instead take a look at the Institute for National Security Studies plan, a political security framework for the Israeli-Palestinian arena. The Kobe Michael would agree bears much more of a connection with reality. Until next week, it's goodbye from the Israel Connection.